So we're here today with Nicole Garten-Jones and Monique Schubert at Heritage Law. Hi. 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 Great to be with you. So I wanted to start off, I want to find out a little bit about Heritage Law, quite a unique and interesting format that you've used to create this uh, law firm. And I wanted to start off asking you a little bit about um, the culture that you've built here and the rationale for that culture. One of the quotes that I read about Heritage Law says, work-life balance forms the fundamental underpinning of our firm. Obviously, that intrigues me, given the kind of work that I do. And I wondered if you could talk to uh, a little bit to that point. Um, why is it important to have that as a fundamental underpinning? And how is what you're doing different than what happens elsewhere? Well, I think it started from when I started the firm, I was actually expecting a baby. So, <laughs> so it was that, the work-life balance was actually an, a, a business necessity rather than a than a, something that we would like to have. It actually was fundamental to the survival of the firm. So what um, I did was put strategic technology in place. We had um, a virtual server. We were paperless. We used specialized software, voice over IP phones, remote staff, and answering service. So we put basically an IT infrastructure in place to facilitate uh, high-level legal services that could be done on a flex basis. And then... What came from that were two things. The first thing was that it was actually highly efficient. And the second thing was not only did it facilitate balance, but it also turned out to be a great advantage in terms of attracting great talent. Because one of the things in law is that women uh, are, about 50, are slightly over 50% of law school graduates, but by five, six years out, unfortunately, a significant percentage of them have left the practice. And that's because the child-rearing years, unfortunately, directly coincide with a lot of those building years of building a career. And a lot of law firms have what are called an upper-out system where you, you basically work, 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 and you're supposed to either make partner or leave a firm often within seven to eight years. And so there is an inherent conflict, unfortunately, between that timeline and then the timeline of raising small children. And women often tend to be the primary caregivers of children, even though that's slowly changing. So it was a business necessity, but it also turned into quite a significant strategic advantage in terms of attracting great talent. For example, Monique, who's an incredibly um, skilled, competent, and respected lawyer, I think that part of our firm enabled us, enabled us to attract her instead of her being scooped from other firms. So maybe I can ask you then to speak to that, Monique. Yeah, so what absolutely. about the, this model appeal mm -hmm. to you? Because I think you'd had some experience in mm -hmm. more traditional I have. Models. So I've worked both uh, on the, the Bay Street model of the 300 lawyer firm. I've worked in the traditional smaller firm uh, with five lawyers. And I knew uh, when my child was born that neither of those models was exactly right for me. They tend to have... Um, more fixed requirements in terms of when and how you do your work and the level of, uh, of work that needs to be done sort of regardless of the underlying business outcome for the firm. So what really appealed to me about heritage law was I knew that it was structured so that you could meet the same business results but do it in a way that really um, fit each lawyer's individual life needs. So for me with a young child that meant you know being able to drop off and pick up from uh, childcare, be avail 
be available at various times to you know go home early and do dinner with my child but then I could rejig my schedule so that I could you know work during the day sometimes if the evening I needed but generally kind of work about four days a week and have the extra time with my family. So this model really allows me to do that because I can work partly from home. I can basically work anywhere we have an internet connection. And the culture is really that culture of flexibility. So no one is ever looking over my shoulder to see, you know, is Monique here, is Monique not there? Instead, it's you know, how is your practice going in terms of building the practice? Are our clients being served? Um, and what is the, you know, the business results at the end of the day? So I can meet all those, but with a great deal of flexibility and a really shared understanding among the lawyers about um, how we want to live our lives as lawyers and a lot of autonomy. So all of that really appealed to me. So when you talk about a shared understanding, um, how did you develop a sort of a, a culture? How do you structure the conversation so that you can figure out what each lawyer's life needs are and, and how does that shared understanding develop so that the firm is able to be cohesive as a community? Well, I think we have traditional values in that we have professionalism, client service, integrity, contribution to the community, and those would be values that would be consistent with any with almost any firm, good firm, I guess. <laughs> so we have we have that piece, but I think what's unique about us is um, we're unusually innovative. So innovation is actually a very core value because it it structures the way we we uh, set up our whole firm. We are very technologically advanced, and we really value work life balance. And we also have like a caring I know it sounds kind of fuzzy but it is true like we more of a caring supportive environment so I think we have the traditional values but then we also have the values of innovation technology work-life balance and sort of more of a caring nurturing environment um, which would be and and the other thing I think that's unique about us is that we don't have a sort of command and control hierarchical mm-hmm. model, which you would see in more traditional firms. We are truly more collaborative. And a lot of those values, I think, would be stereotypical female values. Um, and interestingly enough, we're all women. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, so that's something that would be unique about us. We don't have the senior partner who tells everybody what to do. Yes, it is more of a horizontal model. Yeah, it's so truly a horizontal model. Yeah. You know, business goals, mm-hmm. um, but how we go about meeting the business goals mm-hmm. is more up to us. Mm-hmm. You know, my practice is a very independent practice, so um, you know, I know I want to accomplish, you know, whatever it is in terms of you know, over time how I build my practice. You know, clients coming into the door regularly. Um, you know generating you know generating fees for the firm and all those kind of things but I can do that um, in a way that's very much you know how, how do I Monique like to practice as a lawyer who what is my individual personality as a lawyer and it naturally fits quite well with the firm mm-hmm. um, if I need to have the support of other lawyers I have people I can call but I don't have to answer to anyone in the way that it used to, it, in some ways it's a little bit of um, a more emotional, psychological 
like the structure cre also creates an emotional psychological difference is what I find so that I just feel differently about it here than I than I have in other firms where I, I felt a little bit more like other people were in charge of my life whereas mm -hmm. here I feel like I am in charge of my life and there's pieces negotiated between uh, you know on business level between Nicole and I but it's still at the end of the day I'm I'm my own boss mm -hmm. that way so the way I see it is that I make sure that the infrastructure is in place so the lawyers have the resources and the support that they need so whether it's technology or staff or access to resources or professional development and then we, we've got a coach that the lawyers mm. work with and so I make sure they have the tools that they need to be successful and then we do have minimum requirements but the requirements are actually significantly less in terms of we have well we have billing requirements we do have client service requirements professional development clients um, business development requirements. We do have some set criteria, but they are not onerous, mm -hmm. and they're basically for financial viability. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's like this is what we need to break even, rather right. than like the goal isn't that we're, that the lawyers are going to be a profit center. It's like actually this is what we need to to meet our obligations. <laughs> so so it's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and then for the individual lawyers, there's the okay. So Nicole, as the you know financial partner at the firm, needs a certain amount to be able to meet the bottom line. And then each individual lawyer also has their own sense of you know what do I need financially um, for my family at this stage in my life. And I can see that right now I want to be at a place that well I'm exceeding what Nicole needs in order to meet where I want to be for my family, but it's lower than it would be at a big firm for now because I want more time with my family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when my daughter is 10, 15, older than that, then I can start to say, okay, now I'm going to ramp up that that work side and, and um, I don't need to have as much time uh, available for my family. Right. And so we've tried to keep overhead relatively low to give us that flexibility. And you do that through some of the technological things mm -hmm. that you were talking about before. It used to be lower, but since we've been in this new office, it's, it's a little bit more. But I do, I try to keep it as low as I can. Okay. But there's a balance because I also want the lawyers to have the resources that they need. Right. So it's a constant balance to keep the overhead low so people don't feel pressure, but to have enough resources available so that they can be the very best lawyers that they can be. And so that's, that's kind of the tightrope. Right. Um, we're not cheap with respect to like resources, with courses, with... Um, you know, people what people need for marketing collateral. We make sure there's a nice office. So now you talked about supporting uh, the lawyers to be successful, and you talked about coaching. So when you think about um, about uh, that, what specifically do you do in terms of like what kind of coaching do you provide, and how do you figure out what each lawyer needs? How do you to be supported to be successful? Because obviously, well, I'm, that that would look, could look different to different lawyers. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about can, what maybe that looks really like? Yeah. yeah, I can speak to that since I'm on the receiving end of it. Mm -hmm. So um, so Nicole organized for a coach who works, has a lot of experience working with lawyers to work with 
um, us each. So we had an initial meeting all together. And then I have a telephone meeting once every two weeks with the coach, really going over you know, where, how are things going now, and then different pieces of putting my business plan into place. So that's been extremely helpful. We also run a seminar series that gets completely organized. So I, as a lawyer, I prepare and I show up and I speak, but I don't have to do all the logistical behind the scenes. The website is fantastically set up, so I can start to contribute by blogging on the website, but that's already um, done. Um, as Nicole mentioned, there's you know we can go to continuing education courses, that kind of thing. Um, and you know, costs of networking and all that kind of thing uh, get covered by the firm. So that's uh, all those pieces really help me at an initial building a practice stage to really be able to focus on getting out there, meeting people, getting to know people, developing my expertise, and showing my expertise mm-hmm. to people. And so is that a conversation that you have with each new person that comes into the firm to figure out what they need and how you can best support them? Well, I, I kind of have a vision in that I want to have a really great infrastructure, and then I want the lawyers to have the autonomy to build the career that they really want to build. Mm-hmm. So, cause I, so I'm not Monique's boss. That makes, you know what I mean in any way. Okay. So I am. I happen to be paying the lease, <laughs> but Monique is truly my colleague, right? So what we do is we we basically talk. It's like, okay, what resources do you need? What do you need to be successful? And then I work to make those resources available, and then we communicate back and forth mm-hmm. to make sure that that's working. And in your mind, you talked before about command and control. Mm-hmm. Um, in your mind, when you say, "I'm not her boss. I'm her colleague." What is, what's the real sort of relationship distinction between a boss and a colleague that you think is critically important to creating the kind of environment that you've worked to create here? Well, I think it's something that's unique to law, too. I mean, because lawyers are autonomous, interesting people. Right? <laughs> they don't take well to being told what to do anyway. But what I do is I hire extremely smart, like conscientious people that I highly respect. And then you know, basically give them the resources they need to, to manifest their potential, right? And then I'm here as a friend, as a colleague, and and my job is to facilitate the back end, and that's kind of the way it is. Um, you know, of the 12 people in the firm, I actually happen to be the second youngest person, so it's, it's a little bit unusual. Like, usually firms... It's, it's like the gray-haired lawyer who's sort of the, has the big reputation and then everybody works for him. Like, that is totally not what happens here. <laughs> I think we're the same year at home, yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, so it is, I mean, yeah. the one sense in which you're like my boss is more the, you know, you own the firm and had some expectations, which we talked about right at the beginning. But other than that, it's really... I would come and speak to Nicole and say, this is the practice I envision for myself. And we chat about it. And it is more like having um, a mentor on the business front. And a lot of, maybe this is a really female thing too, like there's sort of a constant negotiation about, you know, you know how, the needs of the firm and my needs as an individual. And it's just a fluid conversation that's happening so that it, 
doesn't have the traditional feel. Right. Now, you talked before about, um, uh, you know, caring and supporting being female values, and then you just talked about the gray-haired guy who's at the top of the <laughs> law firm. And um, as it happens, I think all of the lawyers here are women, except there's one man who's... There's one man listed on your website. I don't know. Oh, he's retired. Oh, he's retired. Okay. He took over his practice. Oh, you took over <laughs> his practice. So it's really all women working here. And, you know, I think some people might think, oh, well, this would work for women, but it wouldn't work for men. And I wonder if you would like to speak to that. Well, I'm interested. There's actually a really good lawyer um, that I'm trying to coax to join us. <laughs> And so it's funny because I, I took him out for lunch to, to ask him if he'd be interested in joining us, and I actually got a really funny reaction. He said, I'm flattered but shocked. Because <laughs> he's like, do you hire guys? And it's like, what happened? It wasn't that we didn't want white men. It, what happened, it was just serendipitous. So I set this up because um, it worked. I had to make it work. I had... I had babies. I had to survive. It was I was pure necessity. And then what happened is that other, other really smart, conscientious, really interesting people contacted me through our connections and said I would like to join you as well. So I never had like a business plan in place that that was just women. It was just, and it's funny how the power of informal networks. And I think what happens in traditional firms is that you know a lot of those connections are made at the golf course or in the squash court and we kind of have the the female lawyer connection and yes. so what happened it, it wasn't and it, it actually in a way is it wasn't that men were excluded it's just they weren't in on the conversation mm-hmm. right and so now I think we're, we're at this stage now we've got this new offices we're increasingly more established we've got a professional legal administrator the firm like the firm's six years old and it's now growing into being more of a, an established structure and so I think I think it would be good actually for our culture to have a to have a man. So I think now because a man hasn't come to us through informal sort of networks now we're good. I'm proactively out there to, to find someone. Yeah. And I think it's the yin and the yang and the variety of yeah. and the variety. It's like it's like why is diversity good? Diversity isn't good because it's apple pie and motherhood. Diversity is good because having a variety of views at the table creates a better organization. It's like why Fortune 500 companies with women on their board make more money. Absolutely. So we have an unusual flip side of it. I actually think the firm will be improved to have people, to have a man, to have different ethnicities. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's what I want because it can only allow us to be better, stronger, have a wider variety of views at the table. So in fact, I'm trying to hire a man. (laughs) (laughs) And we're in progress. And then hopefully that will be. (laughs) But I mean, I just want to go back to this for both of you, because traditionally, I guess we could say caring and supportive are female values in a business sense. But my question is, you know, is it really, doesn't caring, being caring and supportive in a business make for a better environment regardless of whether you're a man or a woman? Probably, yes. And there's a generational thing too. Like I think... The, this isn't just a gender issue. I, I think Generation Y is has they want autonomy. Their vision of success is a little bit more holistic, um, and I think I I think evolutionary like there's baby booms, Generation X, Generation Y. I think as we're getting down, I think there are different values about what people expect in a workplace. 
space. And so it's not just, it's not necessarily male-female divide as much as it is a generational evolution as well. Mm -hmm. I think there's personality differences Mm -hmm. in there too. Um, So this firm is was created a certain way and is known that way but I've certainly you know within the very big crazy Bay Street law firm context really allied myself with people that I found to be really caring individuals within that system it's just that the system was different so those people were not the drivers within that system they were the people I sought out within the system but it wasn't their culture that was the culture of the whole firm. That's what I like a little bit different here is that that those individuals are actually also the individuals. You know, that's that's the culture of the firm as a whole too. Mm-hmm. So, and actually, the person I have in mind was a man who was mm-hmm. the most supportive and the warm and caring at the big firm. So, yeah, it's not a gender specific thing. Because you talked before about how women are leaving, you know, in the you know law, and obviously that's not that wouldn't be a desirable thing for any law firm. Yeah. And then you talked about attracting and retaining great talent. So I'm thinking that you would argue that creating an environment that is caring and supportive, where each individual feels like they're su- succeeded and is supported to succeed and is mm-hmm. able to have control over their environment, that would work regardless mm-hmm. of what you said before from a diversity perspective, mm-hmm. regardless of gender, regardless mm-hmm. of ethnicity. It's really more about what human beings you know, want in a work environment. Now, you mentioned, um, you know, definition of success, which was one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I think traditionally, if we look at the traditional definition of success in business, and it's often measured very narrowly in terms of profit, bottom line profit, narrowly defined as financial success. When you think about success and, you know, in business or possibly in, you know, a larger perspective, what does that mean to you when you when you think I'm successful? What elements go into that concept for you? I think we have shared values about that. In that, we want to be successful as professionals. We want to do a good job for our clients. We want to give back to our communities. We want to make sure we're we're you know contributing to our families. I think I think we have a, a broader view of what that is, and and finances is important. Um, because without financial success, none of the other things can be accomplished, right. but it's one piece of a larger construct. Yeah, my sense of it is similar. For me, my definition of success for myself is being recognized as a professional, as a leader in my profession in the areas that I'm interested in, uh, really being seen as an expert over time in the areas that are my principal areas of interest, Yeah, making a good living, and then doing that, and I, my, my underlying belief in that is that you can do that in a way that still allows you to have life with your family. Mm-hmm. Right. So. So, the idea, so family, having life with family, mm-hmm. comes into the notion of success. Right? So it's a broader definition. Yeah. I went to a really interesting talk the other day where they, one of the concepts, this concept came up a lot, and one of the ideas they talked about was wealth of time not just wealth of money. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, that is really central. I work really hard when I'm working on my career, but I really make sure that my life has a large amount of time in it for my family and young family, so there's not much time for anything other than family and work, but that there is that time wealth. And the traditional structure for law firms is there's 
there's difficulty. There's extremely high rates of alcoholism, depression. Um, lawyers have much higher suicide rates than the general population. So the, the traditional model is not is not conducive to wellness. So yeah. you know. Um, well, and I think well one thing. We didn't mention it before when you're mm-hmm. talking about recruiting talent too. Like quite a few of us here are actually people who, you know, were with top firms. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that model didn't work for us. So this model has allowed you know Nicole to get all kinds of people who are top, you know, top firm talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the model, yeah, the wellness reasons and had experiences of you know this just isn't the way I want to live my life. Well, I certainly know about the long hours, but I didn't know about what you've just talked about, Nicole, depression, alcohol. I didn't, I didn't know about any of that. So maybe since um, you told us a little bit about your background, so you've also had history working in sort of the bigger kinds of firms. Yeah, so there's something called the Lawyer's Assistance Program, and they've got some really interesting statistics. It's something like 30% of lawyers are either functional substance abusers um, or suffer from significant depression, and it, it is much higher than the general population. So I think the pressures of the profession are significant, and and I think the, ex- the expectation of the extreme hours, and also the zero-sum component of it. Like there's, you know, it's interesting, it's a chicken and egg issue. Is it the profession that makes people sort of depressed and drinking, or is it people that are more depressed go into it. I mean, and so it's it's hard to say exactly what's happening there, but we're trying to, like, success isn't making a lot of money and then crashing and burning at 40. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what we're trying to do is be successful, do a really good job for our clients, get great results, give back to our community, make sure we our families are healthy and taken care of, and that we're, we're 30 year in the profession, that it's a, it's a job, not a sprint. All right. So I think that's sort of what the view of success is. But I mean, nothing, let's not say that it's uh, 100% skipping through the fields. And, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and let me talk about the other side of that. Because I couldn't find a model like this out there, I had to create it for, for myself. And so, you know, I have extreme financial responsibility that I wouldn't have in a traditional firm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know... And it's a little bit lonely because I started a firm not that senior, a call. It's not that, like, I don't have a lot of peers. So I have different pressure. So I don't work in a big firm where I have senior partners sort of hounding me to bill big hours, but I very much have to account to my banker and and look at where my line of credit is at any day and, you know... um, enormous professional and business responsibility to a lot of people who right. many of whom are single mothers right so you know there ha- there's costs nothing is free so yes we've built this great model which I think supports a lot of people but at the same time there's enormous responsibility attached to being the owner of a business absolutely um, and so I think I should mention that as well yeah no and I think that's yeah. a really important and, and valid point is that running a business is a serious endeavor, and it does come with a lot of responsibility and accountability. But at the same time, it's a question of um, making a choice for yourself, but also for others, and looking at how do we run a business. You're always going to have those pressures, however you're running that business. But at the end of the day, 
it seems to me on the basis of what we've talked about that you'd be better off to build a structure where people are going to be thriving and healthy and doing their best jobs than as you described working and then burnt out and you know by the time they're 40 so looking at building a business that's going to have longevity that's going to attract great talent and and retain that great talent as opposed to putting so much pressure on them that they end up getting burnt out but it's, I yeah. find I find my life lives in two boxes. So the lawyer box is manage risk, precedent. <laughs> what have people done in the past? And let's let's base our opinions on what has happened in the past and minimize risk. And then the entrepreneur part is go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else has ever done this before, but why not us? <laughs> it is like yeah. <laughs> so that. So that's kind of humorous because the lawyer mind and then the entrepreneurial mind are not not coming from the same place. And so I live with that dichotomy. I actually enjoy it, but there is a definite dichotomy between those but two it, pieces. But at the same time, you talked about balance before. This is just a different kind of balance because I think if you're too entrepreneurial, yeah. it's very difficult to run a successful business because you're not focused on the business right. Um, I was just listening to something on the way over here mm-hmm. that was talking about that, that entrepreneurs tend to be creative, and so they're constantly evolving and going to the next thing, and often the business, and I can speak personally, this is one of my <laughs> big challenges, it's the business part that becomes really difficult. So if you are able to actually bring those things to bear, I think that those are qualities that will allow you, hopefully, to continue on with the success that you've been building here. So one of the things is that I recognize the things that I was good at, the vision, um, business development. I really like clients. I actually like serving clients. So, and then a lot of the business side, I've actually hired an extremely skilled office administrator who's here, Heather Cathcart, mm-hmm. and she's going to take control of making sure we have a budget. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like The important things that aren't my areas of strength. So it's actually what I'm doing is I'm building on... Now Discover Your Strengths is kind of the book, and it's like, I'm going to focus on the things that I really excel at, and the things that I'm not as good at, I'm basically going to hire a highly skilled person who's going to take care of that. And I can already feel my stress level has has already significantly reduced since we've put her in place. And then the other thing, principle we have is uh, um, Jim Collins' Good to Great, if you read that book. So um, get the right people on the bus. Mm -hmm. So Monique would be a wonderful example. So Monique is brilliant and a wonderful lawyer, and will be a leader in the profession. I just need to get Monique on the bus and then kind of get out of her way, right. make sure she's got the resources she needs. But bureaucracy is meant to manage mediocre employees. And so instead of trying to do that, it's like get great people, get them the resources they need to be successful, and then get out of the way. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's a great managerial leadership model. Make sure the bus is heading in approximately yeah. the right direction. <laughs> but that's, that is the management, that is the management <laughs> philosophy around here. Right, which is what I would frame as, I talk about that as a respectful leadership yes. model, whereas you're really, you know, you are, you're bringing people on, yeah. you're supporting them to be successful, mm-hmm. you're giving them what you need, but you're letting them... Yeah do what they need to do. So respecting their ability to do their jobs. Now, one last question that I wanted to ask because of my bias in my work. Um, What I have found in a lot of female-dominated workplaces is a lot of, unfortunately, disrespectful, bullying-based behavior. And given that you're all women here, and I'm not 
thinking that there's much of that going on. I'm wondering if either of you have had any experience with that. From my perspective, it's often about women and power and how that is sometimes expressed. Have you had any experience with that? Has that ever been an issue that's arisen for you? And any words of wisdom with respect to how you, you know, work with women and ensure that that doesn't become an issue? I did experience that when I was a junior associate in big law firms. So sometimes the very senior female partners I found were sometimes the hardest on you. And I think, I think that culture arises when it's a highly competitive environment where there aren't that many rules for women. And then what happens is that women, unfortunately, instead of supporting each other, start competing with each other. Um, and I think that breeds a lot of that, the, the things you hear about women not supporting each other and stuff like that. In this office, it's it's just a non-issue because there's no barriers to advancement. Mm -hmm. There's no finite, there's no scarcity of opportunity. And I think I think a lot of that that unfortunate less collegial behavior comes from a scarcity of opportunity, and we don't have that. Mm -hmm. Like the people are only bound by their vision and and the amount that they want to work. Yeah. Well, because part of it is the model here is the idea is that we build our own practices. Mm -hmm. So, and actually, our practices are quite complementary, which means we can be supportive of each other. In oh, you want to kind of specialize in this, so I'm going to go out there in the world, and when those topics come up, I'm mm -hmm. going to say, you know, you should really talk to Angelique. She's the expert at that. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens around. So, because we have these like these different areas, it, it helps us be supportive. Mm -hmm. I've also had the bullying thing, but actually, it was more a man, and it wasn't it wasn't a male female thing. It was purely a personality, um, and a, a really power driven, fairly manipulative personality. And that was just I don't think there was anything you could do. It was just one of those you just find yourself in that environment, and and then what happens is it gets really across the whole environment because mm -hmm. everybody is trying to kind of survive um, within that environment. So here we've got this equality and we're looking out at the, this huge world of potential clients and that's who we're all going to. Mm -hmm. We're not competing against each other for anything. That's another thing that I think people need to know is that it's like here's all the resources you need, the opportunities out there, what can we do to help you? Like there's and so I think, so that stuff just isn't part of our culture, I'm, you know, and hopefully that will continue. But is competition, do you think, um, is competition, can or competition often I think can be built into the culture because of a perceived, you talk about scarcity of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Well, when I hear that, I think very often that's just attitudinal. Mm -hmm. It's a sense of there's a scarcity of opportunity mm -hmm. when we come to, you know, a life with an, a scarcity mentality, mm -hmm. which is there's a finite amount of business, mm -hmm. and if I get some, that means you don't get some. Mm -hmm. Or we come with a different kind of a, a mentality, which is there's an abundance of opportunity, yeah. there's enough for all of us, and we can all support each other to yeah. have that. And I think yeah. that competition mentality is we all need to be competing because there isn't enough stuff out there. And I think that's a cultural issue. And as mm -hmm. you said, once it starts, it breeds mm -hmm. that sort of power-based yeah. behavior. Mm -hmm. I, I also see it as a who is uh, making the decision and about your going forward in life. So in some, sometimes with the structure of a, uh, some firms, there is some person who, or a group of people, 
who are the decision makers about who's going to advance to partnership and that kind of thing. So there can be that kind of competition mm-hmm. for those people's influence, favor, right. good opinion. Mm-hmm. Here, when I'm looking at who's going to help me advance in my career, it's actually every single person that I meet out in the world. Mm-hmm. All the new contacts I meet, um, people within my firm, but it's just so broad that I don't need to feel threatened because... You know, there's just, it's not one person who is going to, not one person who's going to make the decision about whether I succeed or fail, and it's not the same one person who's going to make the decision about whether me or one of my other colleagues here at the firm is going to succeed or fail. Okay. And we are each other's evangelists very much. We are, actually, and that's happening more and more, Mm -hmm. you know, where I'll have people call me and... um, ask about something or if it'll come up in conversation I'm like you know the person who's really you know things where I know someone else in the firm has a real interest so you know someone will be talking about business succession I'm like you know Nicole is doing all kinds of learning about that and that's a real interest for her and someone will talk about you know incapacity and I'll say you know Angelique is our person she's doing you know all of our work in that area and just sort of you know yeah Okay. And then I'll say, and the thing I really like to do is this. So, you know, blended family planning and assisted reproduction. You know, I kind of stick my hand up for that. So, and then I know other people are doing the same thing for me. So, okay. so I would say because we're so unique in law, we've actually received an enormous amount of um, like high profile, like lots of articles and stuff like that, which has actually been really helpful. Yeah, so great. For such a small firm. Yeah. For, so, I mean, we are, we are. Not, not tiny. Well, on the grand scheme of <laughs> law firms, we're, we're not we're not a big firm, but it it would it's actually at this point now difficult to find a lawyer that isn't aware of our firm now. Great. So that's actually it's actually worked out to be a great. Mm-hmm. Like we did it because I I well I set up this firm because I needed it to survive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically, it was a necessity, but because it was so unique, it's become like sort of a, our calling card, and so in fact, it's been extremely profile raising. Great. Yeah, and so now it's great. Like, it's very unusual now that I actually meet lawyers who haven't at least heard of us. Great. My new challenge, though, is that people, the first thing they say is, oh, you're paperless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so my, my goal for 2011 is, yes, but do you know that we do wills and estates and family law? <laughs> because our, the one thing is yeah. now the tech has been sort of like the sexy message that we're known for, and I want to transition that to... By the way, <laughs> we do family law. <laughs> it's paperless. <laughs> so that's been one thing that I'm trying to transition because a lot of the PR has been based on the tech. And yeah. not that I want to go backwards. However, for those um, employers and businesses that are listening to this and thinking, wow, I would like to do some of this, but I don't, I'm not sure about those sort of technology things that you talked about right at the beginning. So if you can just very briefly say, you know, um, what are some of the actual technological things that are allowing you to have the kind of flexibility or to offer the kind of flexibility that you can relative to this whole issue of work-life integration? Well, I think the first thing is cloud based um, computing. So our server is in a data center in Burnaby and we have like basically dummy terminals that we log into. So our all we need is an internet connection to basically be fully in business. So cloud-based computing combined with being paperless, number one. Number two, voice over IP phones. So now what is a voice over IP phone for so those that of means, us that don't know what that means? Yeah. So that means that my office 
phone will ring simultaneously here and my home office to my cell phone. If I was going to Hawaii, I could just take my phone. The client would absolutely not be aware. Okay. So cloud-based computing, voice over IP phones, and then we also have very specialized software, which mm -hmm. the firm lives digitally. We don't have paper files. So that flexibility is has three things. Extremely good risk management because we can't miss a conflict because everything is searchable. It's extremely efficient, which means you make more money, which firms will, you make more money with less time. Mm -hmm. And number three, it facilitates flex because a lot of us will do some meetings during the day but do preschool pickup or whatever we need to do. And a lot of us will work between like mm -hmm. 8 and 11 at night. So mm -hmm. if I send an email at like 8.30, I'll get three responses back. Um, probably faster than if I sent it at 2 p.m. Right. So we truly do like flex hours and so we bill often as much as a lawyer and a traditional firm but we're not locked in the office between 9 and 5 where we can do community things, we can pick up our kids, and that kind of stuff. And the firm, as far as the firm is concerned, we don't, we don't give a hoot if people are in the office between 9 and 5 as long as clients are served and the work gets done. Right. And you obviously, those of you that are listening can't see this, but one of the first things I noticed was that they have two screens on their desk. Everybody's got two monitors. And I asked Monique about that, and Monique was saying, well, the reason is because we're paperless so that you can be working on one mm -hmm. screen and then have the other screen available, whereas you might have the file open and you're you know, going through the papers and looking at the documents. I actually yeah. want three. <laughs> yeah, I, I can think see three would be the best. Right. And one so, of the, yeah. right. Go ahead. Let's say one of the key pieces of that cloud server piece is the document management system. So we use one called World Docs, but it is really so good. Every time I send an email, receive an email, save a word, all the different kinds of documents will all get saved to a file on that. Um, and yes, then the, the multiple monitors is so I can look at the client questionnaire at the same time as I'm reviewing a will or whatever it is. I agree, three would be good. <laughs> So certainly the technological advances have really allowed and assisted you to be able to create the kind of business model that you're working with. Mm -hmm. And these are technological advances that any firm, and even a you know, law or whatever, can take advantage of in order to be able to look at how do I create more flexibility for my employees? How am I able to look at um, offering the same sort of ability for individuals to ha have the... I like to call it work-life integration as opposed to balance. But just to be able to, what you talked about, um, support each individual and have each in individual's life's needs met, but at the same time have the business's goals met. And so the interesting thing is, five years ago this was like revolutionary. Mm -hmm. Now it's, if you, if you read any blogs, everybody's kind of talking about it. Five years from now, a huge percentage of firms will have this system. We were one of the earliest adopters, mm -hmm. but from start to 10 years, it'll be ubiquitous, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. So any last thoughts before we close off? Well, then we'll have to figure out something new and fancy at that point. I know, exactly. <laughs> Everybody's going to catch up to us. <laughs> Some new innovation. Okay. Well, thank you so much for okay. taking the time to thank be with you us. Thank you very much. I'm sure that I've really enjoyed meeting both of you, mm -hmm. and I know that those of you that are listening are also going to get great value from the interview. Great. Thank, thank you. you.